I've had a study I've kind of been working through over the last month, and um, sometimes there are things that the Lord would uh, bring to my mind that um, I would study, and I'll study them, and then I don't get to preach about them for a couple of years, and um, that's okay. Um, then there's things that He'll let me study, and then I get to preach about them pretty quickly after, and um, that's the case today. Uh, about a month ago, I was uh, blessed to, to be able to, to go down to the funeral services for Brother Eugene, that's, that's Brother Jeff's dad, and um, I got to hear Brother Jeff give a, a wonderful eulogy for his dad. And um, I thought about what an honor and a privilege that must be to be able to eulogize your father for a life well lived. And um, as I was thinking about that and considering what that must be like to, to do, but I, I was thinking what it must, what, what you'd have to do to place yourself in that situation. And um, I've had a couple of opportunities where I've uh, conducted the services for a couple of grandfathers that I've had pass away over the last several years, but um, to, to do that for your dad, I think, would just be something altogether uh, humbling and honoring to be able to get to do. And um, so, as my mind was was considering that, as I listened to Brother Jeff that day, I was thinking about how to, how I would ever think to take on that situation. And my first instinct, like it is so often, was, well, what does the Bible say about it? And it got me considering what all Jesus has to say about His Father. What all Christ has to say about the Father. And the answer, as you'd probably expect it to be, is a whole lot. Jesus has a whole lot to say about the Father. In fact, I was struck as I went and studied uh, about this just a number of times that we see Jesus talking about His Father. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, and you were to take a highlighter and study through the Sermon on the Mount, the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the book of Matthew, it just highlights all the instances where the teaching that Jesus is providing, that Jesus is giving, is centered around who the Father is. Do the same thing as you look at the seven I Am statements in the book of John. And around each one of those I Am statements, we see sort of as the, as the principal element of it, it relates back to who the Father is. Jesus' ministry was purposed around the reality that none can come unto the Father but through the Son. And so he spent time to effort to, to know uh, to the people that he was speaking to, to the Jews who had such an awareness of, fa- of the Father, had such an awareness of how God had led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and how all those miraculous things that were done in the Old Testament had an idea of who the Father was. And Jesus came now to testify as the Son about His Father. Here in the 10th chapter, of the book of John, we see two of those great I am statements that are found here in the book of John. He says that I am the door, and he says I am the good shepherd. Now as he was teaching these things, and was teaching about him being the good shepherd, he said something that stirred the Jews. They got concerned, that they found it to be something that bothered them. There was a division amongst them concerning the things that Jesus said. Because he said that no man could take his life from him, but that he would lay it down. And then if Jesus laid down His life, that He also had the power, He had the authority to take it up again. And that this was a commandment that He had been given from the Father. 
And so when Jesus said this, that he had the authority to lay down his life, the authority to pick up his life again, to, to, to resurrect again, this caused a division amongst the Jews. And some said that he was insane. Some said that Jesus must be possessed with the devil that he would say these things. Others said that can't be possible that he would be insane or that he'd be demon possessed because we've seen the good works that he's done. So there was this big division amongst the Jews concerning the things that Jesus had said. And we're going to pick up this account now in verse 22 of the 10th chapter of the book of John as Jesus is in Jerusalem. Read with me. John chapter 10 beginning at verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 22. It says, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name may bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because you are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which give them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one." Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them and said, Many good works have I showed you for my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, For good works, or for, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said ye are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe me not, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand, and he went away again beyond Jordan to the place where John first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true, and many believed on him there. Now there's a lot that was packed into those 20 or 21 verses that we read here at the end of the 10th chapter of the book of John. I want to quickly try to unwind some of these things and then bring us to the focus of what Jesus said when He said that I and the Father are one. So we see that there's this big division amongst the Jews. They, they heard that Jesus said that He had the power to lay down His life and the power to take it up again. And there was this commotion amongst them as to whether or not Jesus was insane. And so now Jesus is in the porch. He's on the, temple, uh, on the porch of the temple in Solomon's porch. And they come to Him. And they're saying, listen, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, can't you just plainly tell us? Just tell us. If you are the one who was to come, just tell us who you are. And Jesus said, I have. 
He says, I have told you, and you have not believed. He said, I've done the works, these works, these miracles that you see, how I have fed the hungry, how I have healed the blind, how the lame are made to walk, all these things that I have done in my Father's name to bear witness of who I am. Jesus is telling the Jews, you have all that you need to believe that I am the Messiah. You have all that you need to believe that I am the one that was to come, that I am the Christ. And he said, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They know me and I know them. Jesus was making a statement about the reality concerning belief. He was saying, you're looking for something that you can believe in that's tangible of your own hands because you want a Messiah to come that He can overthrow the Roman government and have an earthly kingdom. And He said, but I've come preaching something different to repent that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you have believed not. He said, you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. Then he said this concerning the eternal security of the believer. He says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Now there's what I want to say about this in a moment, but we'll come back to it. Verse 30, then he makes this great statement when he says, I and my Father are one. Jesus is saying with certainty that He is one with the Father. He is putting Himself as the Son of God on the same level as the Father. He did not find it something to, to, to not comprehend to the Jews that He was God. He knew that when He would make the statement that He was the Son of God, that they would have, have stoned Him. So He's risen to another level now, saying that I and the Father are one. Listen to me. Jesus is God. We don't need to trifle with, with something where, where people would, would look at all these things and try to make a different dispensation and all of these sorts of things. Jesus has said unequivocally that He is God. He said, I and the Father are one. In fact, if you look, when they, when they came to arrest Jesus there in the garden, when they came to arrest Him, they said, are you the one that we're looking for? Are you Jesus? Are you this, this Nazarene that we've been looking for? Jesus said something. He said, I am. Now, if you read that in the King James Version, it's going to have a word he after that I am statement in which the he is italicized. That means it's been added to help with the, with the, the rendering of the text. The reality, though, it wasn't there in the original translation. He said, ego I me in the Greek, which is to say, I am. It's the same statement that God gave, that the Father gave to, to Moses in the Old Testament when He said, tell Him that I am hath sent you. Jesus' statement was so powerful that when He said, I am, that those Roman guards that had came to arrest Jesus fell on their backs. Jesus is God. And he's made that statement plainly here to the Jews. And the Jews pick up stones to stone him. Now I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes just for a minute. You have made a statement 
already that has caused a division amongst the Jews. You know that they are, that they have this, this high stress and anxiety over the things that you're saying. You know that they are already commiserating amongst themselves. They're already plotting and scheming how they can, can take you and kill you. Now you make this statement to their faces and you watch them pick up the stones to stone you. What would be running through your mind? Jesus sees them and He answers them. He sees their picking up stones as a statement. And He says, I've done all these good works that you've seen of the Father. I've done them in My Father's name. For which one of these works do you stone Me for? He says, you're mad because I've said that I and the Father are one. You're mad that I've said that I'm the Son of God. Yet you see My works that declare who I am. And that I am the Son of God. So then tell me, which one of these works have you found such fault in that you're going to kill me for them? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we don't stone thee, but for blasphemy. Listen, the Jews saw all the things that Jesus was doing and they still did not believe. They saw Him for blasphemy because He was a man and made Himself God. And Jesus answered and He said, Is it not written in your law? I said ye are gods. He's quoting from the Psalms. I believe it's in Psalm number 82 that we see there David writing concerning judges and how the Scripture there renders it as, as that they were gods. They were the ones to, to have the judgment and the discretion. And He says, If He called them gods unto whom the Word of God came as judges and the Scripture cannot be broken, say of Him who the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest because I said I am the Son of God? He's saying we've seen this, this same terminology used in other places and you're finally he's calling into account the Jews and, and how they're, they're inconsistent in what they were doing. Don't you see people doing the same thing today in their attacks on Christianity? They're all over the place. So it was in Jesus' day. And he says, if you do not, it says, he says, if I do not the works of my Father, then don't believe. He said, if all I was doing was coming and telling you that I'm the Son of God, then fine. Don't believe me if that's all I was doing. He said, but I do the works of my Father. Believe me for the evidence that is in front of you. He says, but if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. The Jews still did not hear when Jesus said to see the evidence of the works and instead all they heard was that Jesus said, the Father is in me and I am in Him. They sought again to take Him, but He escaped out of their hand. It doesn't tell us how. It just tells us that Jesus eluded their grasp. And then it says that He went away again. He went on the other side of Jordan to the place where John was baptizing. And there He stayed. And now some came to Him. I love this picture. See what's going on. Jesus has been at once. They were threatening to stone Him. But there were some there that heard and saw the evidence of the things that He was doing and they were led to believe. Why? Because they knew what John had said. And that John didn't do any of the miracles that Jesus had done. But what John said about this man that was to come, all of those things that John had said in the wilderness have been true of this man. And so they saw the evidence, they saw what John had said, and they said, we must believe. And so it said that many believed on Him there. Now, this is one of these accounts of Scripture where we look at that and we try to, to wrestle with, with what is it for, for us to mean today. 
We, we live in 2021. We have the benefit of having the, the full Scriptures here today with us. We, we don't have, have the, the disadvantage that the Jews had in which they were waiting for the Messiah. We can look back on the crucifixion. We can look back on the resurrection. We have the full canon of the Scriptures with us to, to help us and to teach us and to guide us. So how do we make sense then? What do we do with these accounts where Jesus is declaring that He and the Father are one? There's three things that I want us to see here. The first is a statement concerning eternal security of the believer. We had this conversation a little bit Wednesday night, Gilbert and I did, concerning whether or not once we're saved, if we're always saved, or if you can lose your salvation. And this is a question that that, that you hear a lot of religions wrestle with and, 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 and have disagreements about. But Scripture seems to say pretty plainly that if you've been saved by God's grace, you're as saved as you'll ever be. We see him make the statement here. He says that, he says, I give eternal life and that they shall never perish and that no man shall pluck them out of my hand. He says, my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Listen, God loves the son. And He loved the Son so much that He gave Him His sheep. He gave them us. He gave them believers unto the hand of His Son. And if God was the one who saw fit to give this as a reward to His Son, then no man can pluck us out of His hand. Listen to me. If you've been saved by God's grace, and I mean genuinely saved, the devil himself cannot take you from the hand of God. You are saved forever. Isn't that incredible? Scriptures tell us this with certainty. Jude said that God is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His exceeding glory. Paul told the Ephesian church this. He says that we're sealed to the day of redemption. How do we know this? Because we have received the earnest of our inheritance. I talked about that in my opening remarks today. We have an evidence that we've been saved by God's grace and that the Spirit dwells within us. And that Spirit that dwells within us is as though it is that assurance, it's that seal that God has placed upon us that says, this is my child. And we are saved forever. Isn't that incredible? We talk sometimes about how, how does somebody know that they've been saved? And we'll talk about how you'll just know and we'll talk about it being some feeling or, or some effect in which you'll find peace and you'll find joy. All those things that we're trying to say when we say those things is that you'll know it because the Spirit of God will abide in you. And the Spirit is that which has sealed us into the day of, of redemption. Paul told us to the Romans, he was talking about that it's the Spirit of adoption that we receive through Christ and by, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That we have a witness with God through the Spirit. Paul said again to the Romans, he said that I am persuaded, listen to this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I ask you, what did he leave out? I don't think He left out anything. We have a certainty in our salvation. 
Paul told Timothy this. He said, I know whom I believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul looked and he said, I know who I'm trusting in, and I am convinced that the one who I am trusting in is able to keep that I, what I've committed to him against that great day of judgment. We have an assurance with the Father. Isn't that incredible? We're secure. No man can pluck us from His hand. If you've been saved by God's grace, truly and genuinely saved, you're going to heaven. Did you hear me? If you've been saved by God's grace, you're going to heaven. What a great comfort to live through this life of of turmoil, this life of distress, this life of discouragement, knowing that there awaits us a far better eternity in heaven. There's nothing that the devil himself can do about that. (laughs) He's on the run. (laughs) But, let me tell you this as a warning. If your life is not producing the evidence of salvation, you would do well to make your calling and election sure. Scripture tells us that there should be evidence of your faith. There should be evidence in how you live your life. If you are a believer, your life should align with, with, with the life of a believer. It should align with the life of Christ. And if it's not, you would do well to make your calling and election sure. We'll, we'll move on. He said that the Father is greater than all. In case you were wondering by what authority Jesus did any of this, He did it by the authority of the Father. He says, the one that has given me the sheep is greater than everyone else. He said, He's mighty. We serve a mighty God. Jesus is testifying of the Father. And He is saying that God is greater than all. He said, here you are, and you're wrestling about whether or not the things that I'm telling you are true. And you're trying to see them for yourself as, a, as though you were a Pharisee here, 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 a Jewish person. And He's saying, here you're wrestling with all of these things. He says, but the Father that has done this, the one in whose authority I am speaking these things, He is greater than all. We have the promise of heaven because it is God who has promised. You see that? God is well pleased with His Son. And He has given us to His Son. Isn't that incredible? If you search the Scriptures, what you'll find is that in almost all places it says those God has made everything about His Son. That's why I tell you all the time that it's all about Jesus. Because that's how God has ordained it. That's how He's set these things in order. From the beginning to the end, we see that God has principally concerned Himself with exalting the Son. We see that God has given Him a name that's above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To the glory of God the Father. Listen to some of the things that Jesus said about his father. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a farling? You know what a farling is? One copper cent. Closest thing that they would have had in the Roman culture to, to a penny. He said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
and yet one of them will fall not fall to the ground apart from your father. Are you not worth more than two sparrows? He said, if we know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more shall our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? If a child comes up to us and asks for bread, we wouldn't give him a stone, would we? We know to give our children good things. And Jesus is saying, if we know, we who are evil by our own flesh, we who, as Corey already quoted earlier, who of ourselves, there's nothing good about us, there's no righteousness in us, yet we would know to give good gifts to our children. He says, how much more so will our Father give us those good things and giving us the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Listen to what else He said concerning His return. He said, He said, no man, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only knows when Jesus is coming back. We see ourselves, and we're restless sometimes about the issues of life. We see ourselves wrestling with the society around us. We see ourselves wrestling about care and wrestling, does God hear us when we pray? Does God know us? Does God care about us? Does He love us? Has He somehow turned His attention away from us? Listen to me, Jesus has testified that His Father loves you. You are dearly loved by God. So much so that God sent His only begotten Son to die for you. If you want to know the measure of love that the Father has for His children, it is this, that He gave His only Son. His only begotten Son for you. Then Jesus said this. He said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. This is one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. It might be the principal statement of of the book of John. We see John and how John is discerningly different from the other Gospels and how he's telling the account of Christ and how he focuses on on certain things of of the life of Christ that, that we see not focused on in the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here we see that this statement that I and the Father are one, it might be the thesis statement of the book of John declaring with certainty who Jesus is. Paul tried to tell the Philippians about this. He said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made of himself no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, and things in earth, and in things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, we know that Jesus is the Son, and God is the Father, and they operate, and they hold different offices, but they are one. They are one in their essence. They are one in their character. They are one in their nature. They are one in their unity. Yes, the Son has made Himself subservient and obedient unto the Father, but the Father and the Son, they are one. (coughs) Think about what this means for us today in 2021. 
Jesus holding the same character and the same essence and the same divine nature of the Father meant that He was able to provide to the Father a sacrifice that was worthy and accepted by God. That what Jesus did to atone for our sins, that God was pleased by it, that it appeased His wrath, that God looked at it and He saw it fitting and He accepted it as payment and as an atonement for our sins. Why? Because the One who made the payment was the One who shared in the character of God Himself. He was righteous and He was perfect and He was without blemish. And as a result of that, we can trust and we can cling to Him knowing that He has been accepted by God as an atoning sacrifice on our behalf. Did you hear the direction of the acceptance? It's Godward. Did you hear the direction of the atonement? It's Godward. Jesus did the work and God was satisfied with it. Why? Because He's the Father and the Son is the Son and the Son made Himself a servant unto the Father. And the Son became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because God was satisfied with it, He exalted the Son. And He gave Him a name as above every name. And He has seen fit now that for all these years and for all these years to come, that the principal light of heaven will be the Son. That the principal center of heaven will be the Son. That this morning, bowed on their faces around the throne, there are those redeemed that are offering Praise and glory to the Son. You see now what I said earlier about it is as though God has made all things about the Son. And it's as though Jesus made all things about the Father. That's why we abide in our older brother and why it's all about Jesus to us today. Just a few more things and I'll close. John the Baptist said this. He said, The Father loveth the Son and has given all things into His hand. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That the Father has accepted the work of the Son. So what do we do about this? Just two things and I'll try to close. The Father has made it His desire that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which sent Him. Listen, our lives, if you want to be well-pleasing unto God, live your life for Jesus. If you want to be well-pleasing unto the Creator of the universe, follow in the footsteps of Christ. If you want to know the will for your life, Follow Jesus. If you want to know what God wants for you over the course of the rest of your life, follow His Son. God has made it so that all things would be accomplished through His Son. And we wrestle with these great questions concerning life and God has declared to us to follow His Son. I know that many people today wrestle, what does God want for my life? He wants you to follow His Son. And so, Derek, I don't know what that means. Neither did the disciples. All Jesus did when He came to them, He said, follow Me. And they didn't necessarily know what He meant. And they didn't necessarily know where they were going. 
But they knew that there was a drawing to them by the Spirit that they could not quite explain. And so, they followed Him. You ever thought about that? Think about Paul, or excuse me, think about Peter. He's just a fisherman. Society would not have looked at him as somebody of great esteem. He would have been the most learned of society. And one day, Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. And Peter left and he followed him. And we say, well, how could these things be? Would he not have asked questions? Would there not have been some evidence? Listen, Peter spent time with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see that he wrote his own epistles. If there was something that he wanted us to know about his calling to follow Jesus, he would have told us. Jesus said, follow me. And Peter went. <laughs> Listen, I know sometimes you're saying, well, Derek... I just need to know more. I, I need more information about this. Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. And all the while, while Peter went and he followed Jesus, Peter got the information he was looking for along the way. Brother Corey gave a subject at the association last month and he had wrote some things about his grandfather and, and those and um, it wasn't necessarily clear to, to everyone, but I, I knew he was talking about when he was writing those things. And Corey had asked his grandpa about what made him, this man now in his 80s, serve the Lord so consistently and so faithfully for so long. And the answer that Brother Donnie gave to Corey turned to the book of Daniel where it says that Daniel had purposed in his heart concerning the things of the Lord. Donnie said, I have made it my purpose to serve the Lord. You say, how can I just follow Jesus? Make the purpose of your life to follow the Son. Here's what Jesus said concerning the Father. and I'll, I'll close. He said, no one comes to the Father except through Me. I've preached in recent weeks about the great problem of Scripture is that there's a, a separation between God and the sinner. God is holy and He is righteous and the sinner is not. And we wonder how can, how can these two parties that be at ends with one another and there's nothing about them that are the same, how can they be reconciled and brought together? Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except through Me. Listen to me, there is no other way. There is no other hope of heaven. I know that we live in a day and age where, where culture has tried to provide all these other means and all these other ways. And you hear interviews with famous people and they'll be talking about, well, I believe there, there's more than one way to, to heaven. I believe there's more than one way. You know, there, there has to be other ways besides Jesus. Listen to me. God Himself has said unequivocally through His Son that there is no one that can come to the Father except through Jesus except through the Son. The Son has instructed us to glorify the Father. The Father has instructed us to follow the Son. Amen. Thank you for listening to me. Pray that God will bless His message. Something on your heart.